Good morning, church. One of my favorite songs of all time is Joy to the World. It was actually the most published Christmas song of the uh, 20th century. However, there is a strong case to be made that it's actually not about the birth of Christ as much as it is about the second coming of Jesus Christ. First of all, it wasn't specifically written for Christmas. Isaac Watts wrote the hymn for worship, and he was using the Psalms for his writing. He wrote many, many hymns using the Psalms. Well, in this particular case, he derived his thoughts from Psalm 98. And think about uh, verse 3 specifically of Joy to the World. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. You see, when will sin and sorrow stop? When will these blessings that he speaks of flow? He is referencing the Lord's coming again with judgment and victory. And particularly the last verse of Psalm 98 talks about all the nations will know when the Lord comes that God is king. Now this has been the hope of the church for 2,000 years. And as I showed you last week, and as we looked at just briefly the Apostles' Creed, the Lord, the Apostles' Creed says, will return to judge the living and the dead. That was the Apostles' belief. And our hope is for Jesus to return to us, and as N.T. Wright would say, to set the world aright. You see, the promise of his return makes the Bible story complete. Don't we have a wonderful, wonderful beginning, a creation story, the story of the garden? And then there is a middle all the way through Scripture where God is working out his fallen, uh, through his will, through his fallen people, and, uh, and then through his church, and then there is an end to the story. The renewal and the restoration of all things where Jesus Christ reigns as king. You see, he comes the first time to be our sacrifice for sin. He comes a second time to move out all the leaders and all the politicians and all the pretenders, all the false teachers and all the corruption to show the universe what it means to perfectly rule the world. But you see, then, that is, in Peter's day, there were scoffers, just like there are many, many today. Second Peter chapter 3 and verses 3 and 4 reads this way. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, 
Where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning. You see, first they made fun of the idea that the Lord would come again. Their view of the world, in my mind, seems especially contemporary. In other words, where is this coming? Man, nothing ever changes. The world just rocks along, people might say. God doesn't seem to intervene. I'll just do as I please. And Peter says, not so fast, you who scoff. Let me lay out, he says, and the word used in the NIV in verse 1 is some wholesome thinking. I like that phrase. Do you want some wholesome thinking this morning? Let's see if we can work through our text to see what Peter meant as he uh, directly addresses those scoffers who think that nothing ever changes. And Peter reminds us in verses 5 through 7 that God, in fact, will and has intervened in a big way and therefore will again. The text says, but they would deliberately forget, that is these scoffers, that long ago by God's word the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water and by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. And by the same word present, the heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Now this should get our attention. You see, Peter is saying, forming the heavens and the earth from God's word, the act of creation, was proof of God's serious involvement in the world. Plus he says, remember Noah? Remember the flood? Remember how God intervened and brought massive judgment on the world? Of course, as well as blessing to Noah and his household. Well, the same God that brought the flood will bring the judgment to come. And his word is sure from something really bad, that is the judgment on all corruption, will come something very good. And then Peter says in verses 8 and 9, where he speaks about God's patience and God being faithful to his promises. Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish or be destroyed, but everyone to come to repentance, to change their ways and to come to Christ. The text is telling us that God uses a different clock than we do, and we uh, might look at the last 2,000 years and ask ourselves as well, where is this coming And certainly he uses a different timetable for sure. And he's not impatient like we are. We we can't see past ourselves and past our own needs so often. But God has a great 
plan of redemption for the whole world. And so we shouldn't be surprised that the Lord hasn't come. He doesn't keep track of time the way we do. And in fact, the text, though certainly a a, a metaphor, is saying a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Or to say it another way, two days have gone by. That is, since we knew of Jesus coming to the earth the first time, since he promised his return, just two days. And then verse 9 of this text, it says he's patient. See, this is embedded in God's character. He is long-suffering. And it's one of the greatest words in the Bible. Embedded into who God is, his, in, in, as a part of his DNA. That he has the capacity to store up his frustrations and his anger. That is, until the final judgment will come. So God is not slow. He is purposefully patient. And the delay of his coming is not a snag in the plan. It is the plan. God's patience is an indicator of his kindness, giving more time for people to turn their lives to him to find his goodness and his mercy. You see, what we need to do, for some of us that is, is to reframe what we might see as a flaw of God. What happened to his coming? Rather, the delay of the coming of the Lord is not a negative, but a positive comment on God's very character. And aren't you glad he is this way? And then verse 10 of the text says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. This is the day of return, or what we might call the day of the Lord. This is not a term first used by Peter here in this text, in this verse 10. He is referencing the Old Testament prophets that use this term, the day of the Lord, quite often, saying the day of the Lord will come. And according to the book of Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos and Zephaniah and Zechariah, the day of the Lord will be a stunning day from God. A day that is really bad in some respects, but in other ways is very, very good. And it will come like a thief. And that's said so many times in Scripture with a simple point that you don't know when he's coming. So get ready. If you knew when a thief was coming, he or she wouldn't be very effective. But on that day, God will fully judge the earth. And it won't be a day late, and it won't be a day early. It will be right on time, according to God's timing. Now, most of what Peter has relayed to us so far in this section is familiar to those of us who have been around the faith, 
the Lord is coming again. He'll come as judge. He'll come as ruler. He, will, he is the good king, and we should look forward to his coming, and we don't know when he's going to come. He'll do it on his timetable. This morning, as we apply this, I want this truth to be welded to your life. I believe a part of my task is not simply to explain this text, but through the power and of the Holy Spirit, speaking through these words this morning, to tie a rope between this powerful doctrine and your life. So what's it mean for you? Let me see if I can speak just two words and explain those words in three different ways this morning. Because Peter uses these words three times in our text. The words are, look forward. Here are three awesome reasons to look forward. Verses 11 and 12. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought we to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Have we heard that before in this very series? As you look forward, there it is, to the day of God, or to the day of the Lord, or to the day of His coming, And then the text says, and speed is coming. We can have a part and play a part in the Lord coming again. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But first of all, I'm just simply making this point. Look forward to the day of the Lord's coming. For the fact that God will, as the text says, come with fire. Is that literal? Is that a metaphor? I'm not sure I know, but I believe the intent is to destroy the corruption, to burn up the impurities, to clean this place up, to refine it, to rescue the faithful, to reward His children, to redeem His creation through this process of refinement and restoration. How do you feel about the coming? It's a good question. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? I keep asking myself that as I think about all the detail in this text. It surely depends on whether or not your life is immersed, is covered over in Christ when He comes. And that it's been made over in the values, in the priorities, in the teachings, in the actions of Jesus Himself. Are you looking forward to the day of the Lord's coming. Now read verse 13 with me, because here I would say we also look forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 13 reads, But in keeping with His promise, we are, here's our two words, 
looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Now let me say something flatly. The Bible does not teach, as we have often, so often taught, that we go off to heaven, at least on any permanent basis. Rather, the Bible speaks that God comes to us to live and dwell in a new heaven and a new earth. Isn't that what this verse is saying? I know that seems strange for most of us, and so I want to suggest that we reread and reread again our Bibles in light of the fact that he will come to dwell among us in his new heaven and new earth. As Peter said in Acts chapter 3, when he was proclaiming the gospel message early in the book of Acts, that he will come, meaning Jesus Christ, from heaven to restore all things. This restoration of everything, this Eden once again is a part of the new heavens and the new earth. And I love this phrase, the home of righteousness, where the world has been put back together where things have been made aright. All is good in this restored place where maybe we could think of it this way. Heaven, the realm of heaven where God's reign works and earth overlaps. They're collapsed upon one another. You see, right now we live in a world where they've been separated in so many respects. But there'll come a day where everything will be ruled in righteousness. Heaven and earth will come together. It is the home, the dwelling place of God. And our home, too, for those of us who find ourselves in his righteousness. Are you looking forward to this place of perfect righteousness? And number three is in verse 14. Look forward to Jesus Christ finding you. The text says this. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Spotless, blameless, and at peace. You see, on the one hand, we know we are anything but those things. Anything but spotless. And, and we're far from blameless. And we struggle mightily, at least I do, with finding peace. But Peter has already reminded us of the source of our identity 
Remember chapter 1, the promises of God that we have been offered to participate, he has extended an offer to us to participate in this divine nature, in this new way of being in Christ. You see, he is the spotless one. Jesus Christ is the spotless one that becomes our substitute and our sacrifice. He's the blameless one. And he is the prince of peace. And so when we take on that divine nature and that life in him, we too can find a life spotless, blameless, and at peace. So we claim the divine nature that is given freely by grace, and yet I don't want us to miss that we also make every effort. That's what the text says. Same word we encountered in chapter 1, where we make every effort to add to our faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and perseverance, and brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Remember that wonderful section? Now we're making every effort to be spotless and blameless and at peace as we develop in this identity, this new nature in Jesus. It's hard work, but we do it to fully participate in the life of God, not just in this time and place, but in the new heavens and new earth where God dwells among us that is to come. In 1952, Florence Chadwick stepped into the Pacific Ocean off of uh, Catalina Island, and her plan was to swim to the shore of the California mainland. And she had already been the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions. And the weather was foggy, and the water was cold, and she could barely see the boats that made their way alongside her. And she swam, get this, for 15 hours in the Pacific Ocean. And finally she was absolutely worn out and she was exhausted and she said, I cannot go on anymore. Pull me out. I'm done. And they pulled her out of the water. And as she got in the boat, she realized that she was one half mile away. And here's what she said. All I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Church, the Lord Jesus Christ is our shore. Can you look forward 
and see beyond the fog of all that's going on in your life, in your world, in our world. Are you looking forward to His return? Are you looking forward to being with Him in the new heaven, heavens and the new earth? What are you doing to speed His coming? Have you put your full trust in Him? Will you do it if for the first time, through faith and repentance and baptism, will you do it again this morning, relying fully on Him, as the text says, making every effort to be like Him. So we finish where we began with that great song. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love.